we we usually don't um do any intros Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should just dive in. Okay. But I feel like for this time, Zoe, it might be nice to have a little bit of background, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, I'm Zoe, and I'm a Chinese medicine food therapist and chef. I'm from Shanghai, but now I live in New York. Great. How did you get involved with? Um, well, how did you how did you come across this path? Like, what what led you here? Yeah, it's kind of a long story. I guess it started. We've got time. <laughs> Good. When I was sixteen, um, I came to the U.S. for high school. You know, before that, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't really, you know, eating healthy per se. I didn't pay any attention to that part of eating, right?、Mm -hmm. um, so I came here, and then just after a couple months of eating the Americanized diet, I had a lot of health issues. So within one or two years after I came here, I started to gain. I gained fifteen pounds in three months. And I started to have developing like skin rash,、uh, and I had joint pain. You know, I was 16, and I could hear my knees when I was walking. And、um, a year and a half later, I found a breast tumor on my right breast as well.、Uh, and I was like really stressed at that time, and I had a lot of acne on my face as well. So all these things adding together made me. Become really aware of my health. I was like, I need to, you know, do something. Otherwise, it's just nothing was working for me. So、uh, first, I did an, an like an allergy test. You know, Western doctor would suggest that because I had, you know, I was in hospital、um, twice a month for steroid shots. That's,、oh、that's the only thing that could stop the the rash. It was it was bad, very itchy, and no cream works. So it's like a very internal thing. Um, so、uh, I stopped dairy,、um, and it has、uh, because I was tested, you know, allergic to dairy, which I wasn't before I came here. It must be dairy in the U.S. that has some problems. And then after stop that,、um, my rash was completely gone in three weeks, and even、mm. the acne was gone as well. And I was like, okay, that's the first time I kind of really realized the power of food, you know,、mm. even just an elimination. So、um, and then、uh, on the other side, I was trying to eat healthier, but the very generic kind of American healthy, like broccoli, you know, chicken breast,、uh, egg whites, those kind of things. But they helped, you know. I my symptoms were better. I became, you know, I went back to my normal weight,、um, and then that's kind of when I needed to choose a college major. So I got into、uh, nutrition. I went to New York University for nutrition and、uh, public health.、Mm -hmm. um, so that's that. But then I also I went at that time the summer before college. I got the breast tumor removed. Thankfully, it was a benign one. But the doctor did did tell me that it's gonna come back and again and again, like a repeating,、mm -hmm. recurrent one. So I was like, okay, you know, as long as not cancer.、Um, and then the second year, it actually came back. So I got it removed again. It's in the same breast. But I was eating really healthy at that point, you know. So I was, I was like, okay. So what else can I do? And the doctor suggested、um, just don't eat any meat. 
it's okay, I guess no no animal product, no dairy. Uh, why don't I just become a, a, vegetarian, a vegan, a plant-based person? So I did that for a while. And at that time I was in college, I was learning all those, you know, nutrition, what, uh, clinical nutrition things. And on the side, I was doing some culinary work because um, growing up, my family loves to cook. We love eating. So I, my thought at that time was to combine food, you know, cooking, actually cooking with uh, nutrition knowledge. I think it was very helpful. Um, and that's how I was doing that. And then I really realized everything became so restrictive for me. You know, and even for my culinary work, it's always like smoothies, like kale salad, avocado toast. And I was really bored after just one year and a half. You know, when I was a senior, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm, I was bored out of my mind. Chia puddings, you know, those acai balls. Oh, my gosh, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even for me, I, I feel like I also lost too much weight on mm vegan diet you know and now because i was learning that i was like so conscious about what i was eating i was like i can't eat this i can't eat that why don't i try this why don't i try you know that supplement and i think it was almost became like a unhealthy relationship with food and i i realized you know during my work what client asked takes so much fun out of eating, in my opinion, because we have people who don't eat anything like gluten or any carb or animal, and some of them are raw. And I just didn't really like that style of of cooking anymore. So that's the first time I was like, I wish I, I could have something new. And then after I, um, in the last year of college, I was working in the hospital as well as a clinical nutritionist. And that's the time, that's the worst time, my, you know, I've, I've ever experienced in the U.S. Mm. Mm, you know, I really feel like I, what I was doing was not working at all. Defining a patient with number, defining foods with number. <laughs> when you're defining food with number, you're, well, we are feeding patients with burgers, fries, because calorically, Right, right. You're feeding them those really uh, wheatened nutrition shake. Mm -hmm. It's a protein number match, right? Mm -hmm. Also, they add chemicals in it, so the micronutrients match as well. But were those things helping? Not at all. You know, I was like, why was I feeding my patients these things? And then we didn't really meet the patients. We were just writing notes in the computers, describing terrible food for them. And one of us was working in the hospital kitchen. I was scooping out fake cheese from a can of white bread. These are the patients, the, the snack for the patients. And for patients who cannot chew, who cannot swallow, they have dysphagia, um, we were, do you guess what we were feeding them? Jello and ice cream. But what about what about the main dish? Oh, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese. No. Yeah. So we were we would feed them pureed burgers. Oh, cool. oh of course. <laughs> it's the regular like pureed pasta, and we yeah, we need to add additives in them to make them into a consistency that's like thick and like honey. So it was really mm-hmm. bad. Um, that's, that, that time I was so sure I wasn't going to be a clinical nutritionist. 
because I just couldn't do that, you know, and my colleagues, um, I didn't find any like similar interests with my colleagues. Uh, so I, I want to do something else. So that summer, I also, I, w- I went back to Shanghai, my hometown, and I was interning in the hospital as well. And there I saw, as a clinical nutrition as well, and in a, you know, biomedicine hospital, not a Chinese medicine hospital. But there I saw, you know, a traditional dish being incorporated. So people with dysphagia, we give them congee, we give them pumpkin soup, it's Korean pumpkin soup. Um, and then for diabetes, we give, we give, we give them mountain green rice instead of white rice. Oh, you know, that's a much better approach. At that time, I was also trying to improve uh, myself uh, in terms of culinary uh, skills. So I, I looked into um, Chinese recipes, the old Chinese recipes. And it was so fascinating for me because there were so many vegetables. I, I don't know that they what they are. And they talk about seasonality, talk about uh, people. And there are a lot of Chinese medicine terms in those recipe books. Mm. And that's when I got really interested in Chinese medicine, especially herbology, because a lot of herbs were in the recipes as well. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of how I, you know, started to transition my entire practice to incorporate Chinese medicine with um, a Western medicine. And at the same time, my mom took me to my first acupuncture uh, session uh, because I was so thin at that time. I didn't, I stopped menstruating. And also my menstruation started to have problems after I had my breast tumor. So I didn't have my period for I think, two years. I was just put on birth control and then to have my period come. But you know, in a fam, in a Chinese family, uh, menstruation is like a very important thing for a girl. So my parents will make sure, you know, I have to have it naturally. I think it's a very different culture here. Here I feel like people just take birth control. They're happy with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, Chinese medicine really brought it back you know, uh, with acupuncture, with herbs, and with all the other things I was reading, I was seeing. Um, and then at the, at the same time, I met someone just randomly at an exercise class, uh, a girl who's just graduated from acupuncture school, you know, so all these factors that's together, I think I was really guided to learn Chinese mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's how I, how I started. So where did you get did you, you, you're not an acupuncturist though. Right. No, I'm not. So okay. I'm going, so my route is definitely, uh, food therapy and herbs. Um, I'm not, but you know, the, here, the school, you have to stay acupuncture, but that's not going to be my, my, mm. my, my path. Oh, so you're studying in the program, but not doing acupuncture basically. I, I still have to learn acupuncture, which I think is okay. good information to have because in order to get um, a master or doctorate degree, it's just mandatory. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm actually trying to negotiate with the school to see if I could do more herbal ships mm. and things like that. But so far they say no. <laughs> That's a shame. I know. I, I, guess- I think because I think, I think you're the ideal case for what they, what I think they're, um, what they're trying to produce is that, you know, a real herbalist, you know? 
yeah with, because, the, with the herbal program do you know what i mean right right um and i think you know in china these are separate courses you can just become an herbalist or you know become acupuncturist but here and i think the herbal education is pretty weak in my opinion you know um, so I, ha- I was reading i do a lot of self-study there are courses thankfully you know chinese courses from Chinese TCM schools that's all that are online available so I take these extra courses too what were you gonna say Taryn sorry uh I was I was curious which school you were talking about that didn't want you to just follow the herb curriculum just out of curiosity yeah it's a uh, Pacific College yeah <laughs> okay really that's surprising <laughs> Yeah. What did you did you t- you used to went to CCM schools right? Which I went you? to Pacific College. Oh, you went to Pacific. in New York. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually didn't go to a TCM school. I went to a place called Zhengdao School okay. of Classical Chinese Medicine, which, um, both as a strength and a weakness, didn't teach any TCM. So in terms of taking the boards in the United States, it was an interesting situation where the four years of our graduate training had nothing to do with what we were actually going to be tested on i mean not nothing because of course there's still yin yang five phase six comfort like there's areas of consonants but you know tcm is in and of itself a particular orientation to the medicine so we all had to kind of figure that out on our own after we graduated so that we could take the boards to get licenses to practice but that program is entirely focused on acupuncture um rather than focusing on acupuncture and herbs so there it's more in the that Chinese model of like, these are different areas of inquiry. It's not that one can't do both, but you know, the idea was that we're going to focus on one thing and actually try to get you to a a place in your understanding that you have a basis that you might be able to work from with, with at least a, a level of confidence that a beginner student practitioner ought to have. Whereas I think a lot of times in the TCM programs, folks get out and feel pretty at sea. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or feel like they know everything. It usually seems to go kind of (laughs) in one of two ways, Uh, neither of which are, I think, super useful orientations. I mean, I would totally acknowledge that, you know, a three or four year graduate program, it's the only thing realistically it does is get you to the place where you have enough vocabulary and enough of a frame that you can actually begin to learn, right? So, and, and will, if you've attended to the program, you will most likely not do any harm and you might do some good, but it's really a, a, a beginning stage, right? I mean, just like if you go to medical school, you would have a residency, right? right? And various kinds of postgraduate work that you would do, or essentially you're really learning how to be a physician, not when you're taking your didactic classes, but when you're doing rounds yeah. and working with other folks that have already, you know, been in the field for some period of time. So we don't, you know, in the United States, that's not really like, yes, there's a clinical set of rotations, right? Mm-hmm. But it's pretty minimal, you know, so mm-hmm. there's whatever. This is a recapitulating <laughs> our conversation with right. Tyler Fawn, which was largely about the the industry itself and the scholastic yeah. network, right? And mm-hmm. we don't need to continue down this particular rabbit hole. But it's, I I think Lucas and I both agree that there's lots of things that are problematic about the way that the education is currently happening in most of the institutions. Yeah. Um, are there any, 
what are some of the things that you, what are some of the shortcomings you're finding in the American programs and that are leading you to look to the online Chinese programs? Yeah. Um, so just from an herbal perspective, I just, you know, really think, I just, think it's not enough especially even since from the really early class like uh, herbology you know when the professor's explaining an herb mm-hmm. i don't even think it's just okay the the flavor the the functions you know kind of read through the slides some if it's a chinese uh uh teacher might maybe he or she's speak a little bit more about experience um, but it's not enough, even from my own knowledge, you know, I know there's so much more about this herb that's not taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, and, you know, when I take the Chinese online classes, they do talk a lot more about uh, clinical applications and things like that. And okay. then going to, let's say, the further, like, formula classes, similar story, I think, it's just the information given is very just based on the text, kind of read them through. Um, and uh, I feel like there's, you know, lacking. Mm-hmm. A little bit like uh, just how, just the way they explain it is also very different, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know. Um, and uh, I, I really think the Chinese classes does a lot better, even for me to remember the most basic things. As well, they just say it in a different way. Maybe it mm. could also be the language. I guess when they translate it into English, I think something is missing. Mm. So, unfortunately, it's like that. And are you primarily or only studying herbs from a TCM orientation, or are you like looking at Shang Han Lun or some constitutional system, or um, like what's kind of your scope of inquiry when it comes to herbs right i try to learn um you know a pretty comprehensive kind of perspective mm-hmm. about herb but the, i will say like in, in the chinese classes they do talk about like Luan and kind of everything they separate all these subjects um together mm. yeah it sounds to me like um there's a lot more like specific clinical examples, and and that's what you're seeing is the major difference. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and it's the the class a, a lot, a lot more rich, right? The mm-hmm. the curriculum they could talk about one formula for forever, and they have very uh, specific application. Let's say there could be a lecture series just on that one disease, you know, mm. like one illness, a one pattern, and how do you use herbs? There are more creative courses, uh, mm. like we say, focusing on beauty, focusing on uh, mental health, even, you know. Mm. Do you find you have to extrapolate your own, um, your own ideas about how to use it in cooking? Or is there, are there, do they talk about that in the Chinese classes that there's actually like, oh, yeah, use this in a soup or actually you can use this in a salve and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so not in regular herb class. So if it's a food therapy okay. class, then they have mm. it. But what I realized with the food therapy class is still, I think, overly simplified and kind of outdated. Mm. Um, if you look into the textbook that they teach, in, in like generic textbook um, for all the TCM uh, universities, colleges on food therapy. I should have it on the table. Oh, great. Um, 
for this one of them. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, TCM, mm-hmm. you know, uh, food therapy. Food therapy, I guess. <laughs> right. It's yeah. quite thick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in there, you know, they have explanations. These are all single ingredients that they explained in, in TCM functions, uh, you know, fresh vegetables and things. And then they have recipes. These are all recipes. But they are, in my opinion, uh, a little bit outdated. First of all, it's all Chinese recipes, which is, I mean, it's, it's all in Chinese. But in my practice, it's not practical to always cook Chinese. I think for right. prof- uh, practitioners all over the world, it's not practical to be you know, eating just Chinese cuisine every day. And then there are, you know, certain recipes that I say outdated is I think it's not updated with biomedical nutrition. For example, mm. they love to glaze food like with cornstarch. Mm. Right, right. I think it's completely unnecessary. Sometimes yeah. even for a diabetic recipe, they were like, oh, you know, add like a sugar cornstarch glaze so it can make, so it can look glistening. <laughs> um, which is an interesting part because in, you know, food therapy, they talk about the most important pillars. And to make the food look delicious is one of the, you know, the important pillars. Mm-hmm. And hence, the cornstarch glaze, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also, I think, what what is uh, lacking here is, you know, we, we didn't pay attention in nutrition. We never really, you know, taught, at, at least in the hospital, to make, make food look better, taste better. Uh, certainly not. <laughs> or uh, while being delicious. There's one thing I have to say about looking at your um, Instagram uh, that I think you do quite well is that, you know, everything, like I recognize most of the ingredients that you're using. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to cook half of the things, but you're, you're very clear on how to do that step by step. And then the finished product, it's gorgeous. It's like clearly photogenic and looks tasty, you know? Yeah. So you don't need all these glazes and such. You can just be a little more creative. And, and a lot of times the preparation process makes it ends up, creating something that looks good exactly and i think you know i think in china food therapy needs to be updated as well Mm. um because right now it's still a lot of older people doing like they have we have tv shows on food therapy actually chinese medicine and they talk a lot about recipes and the audience you know in the tv show and in real life they're all like grandma level you know, mm-hmm. it's quite funny. Um, so whenever I, I tell my friends I'm, I'm a food therapist, Chinese medicine food therapist, Chinese friends, right? They're all like very surprised. They think it's an old people thing. Aren't you no, too young for that? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and I think they think it's just broth, just congee, yeah. and nothing else. That, that, that was my experience in school. We did have nutrition, and I felt like, the teacher, I love her to death. She's a wonderful teacher and she's a great practitioner. I don't know if she's still practicing, Dr. Jan Li Huang. <laughs> Hopefully you're listening to this, Dr. Jan. Love you. And <laughs> she, I, I think she felt like her hands were tied in a lot of ways because like we only could get through the basics. So we learned kanji. <laughs> right. Pretty much everything was kanji. Throw some Huang Chi in there. Throw some Datsao in there. You stir it up. Boom. You, you know, this is helpful for this and this. Don't give chicken to people with cancer. There you go. Right. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay. Yeah. 
I guess that's the basics, but like, you know, if we're going to recommend things to our patients, we need a little bit more substance than just like kanji um, for, for basically tonifying your stomach a little bit Yeah, and maybe warming a little here and there, but like getting in, into any kind of complicated issues was just not something we could do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how to how do we make it easier for our patients in, to incorporate? You know, you are you, you try to use familiar terms. I never tell them kanji. Most of them actually don't know what kanji is, believe it or not. So, so I always say just like a Chinese oatmeal, you know, oh, nice. and or just ask them to add a, a millet or different grains to their oatmeal, and mm. then tell them how to cook with an herb. And usually, you know, in, in food therapy, a lot of the herb, if they can be grounded, mm -hmm. um, we use a lot of like even grounded form of these, especially like poria, you know, even uh, chenpi, aged chenpi, mm -hmm. um, and even dangui, mm -hmm. they can be grounded mm -hmm. and used, which is a lot easier mm -hmm. um, yeah. for, for people. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to ask what your practice looks like these days. I mean, I know you're on holiday in LA, but you know, what's, tell us a little bit about, you know, the different aspects of it. I, you know, I'm also familiar with your Instagram and I first encountered your work through five season TCM. Five season TCM. Mm -hmm. um, I think y'all were, this was a few years back. So you were doing more pop-ups or maybe even had some kind of consistent space yeah, so like yeah, you know yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about what all this looks like these days and sure yeah, yeah. so before pandemic um a couple of years before pandemic two years is kind of when i officially started i just started with a dining experience mm -hmm. a chinese medicine dining in my a studio in new mm -hmm. york it was a tiny studio i didn't have uh, a bedroom for myself. My bedroom was the dining room. I have a sofa. <laughs> you know, when it's a sofa and table, it's a dining room. And then mm -hmm. when people are gone, it's a foldable round table. Mm -hmm. so I close it, I pull out the sofa, and that's my dining room. Um, and then, um, so I started by that because I really believe I can, if I can just feed people good food, they don't necessarily need to know anything, you know. I mm -hmm. think my goal for nutrition is not have nutritionists being needed right. uh, if the chef can be a nutritionist that is the goal right mm -hmm. but then you know during the the the, the uh, chef's tables uh, people really love it and then they start to ask me all kinds of questions what can i buy this what is this when i can i find more information on food therapy i was like oh, i don't know where you can find more information for that <laughs> and i was trying to find good websites you know that has good visuals for people to learn as well as good authentic information and it was quite hard to find you know some websites have good photos but the information was very plain or minimal others are very old school you know all text from head to bottom no picture on this entire website at all so i was like okay so I'm, I, I told them i'll post more on my instagram you know uh just maybe pay attention to that so i started to post more and more on my instagram at that mm -hmm. time i had probably like 900 followers on my instagram um so and i was posting really long captions which is i guess not very common uh nowadays I was like, people are not going to read anything on Instagram. 
But it turned out they actually they really read, you know. They uh they were commenting like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. I didn't know this, blah blah blah, which really motivated me to post more good information with good visuals. Because I think so it's so important to bring people in first with a good image and then you know let them stay with uh, useful information mm-hmm. um, on, on Chinese medicine because people really don't know about this. And as a Chinese, I'm very passionate about it. I'm very proud of what we have. So I do want to offer uh, my perspective on these ingredients. So kind of I was doing that and then the dinner got bigger and bigger. I, I couldn't host people anymore in my studio. So I started to work with bigger restaurants, bigger venues, and we started to have some media coming in, you know, to uh, write articles about us. Um, so that's kind of how I started. And then uh, right before pandemic, actually, I was looking to a physical location uh, to mm-hmm. host my dinners. And um, I actually almost signed the lease, but then in mm-hmm. the end, I didn't sign it. Fortuitous. <laughs> yeah. No, because the landlord was too mean. You know, he was asking for a lot of unreasonable things, oh, as all New Yorker, New York landlords. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't sign it, and then pandemic hit. I didn't host dinner for for you know the entire duration of the pandemic. Even now, I only hosted one after the, mm. the after you know kind of everything started to quiet down. Um, mm-hmm. So at that time, I was like, oh, okay. So I set aside of some money, you know, to host, to do the uh, storefront. But So I still have that money. And I was like, okay, just let's move everything online. And I want to create a website where people can find more concentrated information that's always there. Because on my mm. Instagram, scroll through, you know, they can't right. find, there's no search button, right? Right, right. So I built a website actually myself. For five seasons TCM, everything was is DIY because I don't have a lot of money to mm-hmm. hire someone to do that. So mm-hmm. I just DIY everything, um, and then yeah, five seasons was born uh, end of twenty twenty and kind of officially launched just earlier this year, where I I see it as an educational brand. And to tell people more about TCM food therapy, a brand where you don't really have to study money, uh, spend money, but you, you can learn. We have a lot of free resources on there. On Instagram, we try to post more information as well. But we also want to offer um, accessibility to some of the ingredients for people if they want to try. Mm. And we started to source from smaller farms in China and to make sure everything's organically grown. Most of them do have do not have organic certification because actually smaller farms can do that. Yeah, um, right. So, and we don't have the cap, uh, capital to help them to do that. Mm-hmm. It's quite expensive. So yeah. we, we bring them over, we tell them, tell their stories. Um, and then to really also, you know, China sometimes have a bad reputation here, you know, especially comes to food and herbs and kind of everything made in China. You know, people are a little mm-hmm. bit, careful about it is it good is it safe but actually we have so many great things you know even just think about it so many of your healthy supplements there are a lot of ingredients are from china actually um and i want to tell people actually we can have really great quality products and we're such a we're a really big land 
the produce in China is really insane. You know, all kinds of things. Let's say Yunnan, right? They have more than twenty two hundred fifty kinds of edible mushrooms. And <laughs> yeah, I saw that video or part、oh, of it、yeah. at least, and it was insanely overwhelming how many mushrooms your friend was showing. Yeah, like... and she's like, "Oh, this is not even a mushroom market; it's just a regular market." That's nuts. Yeah,、awesome. yeah, and I—I I mean, this mushroom thing in Vietnam, I can talk about it for hours. You know, it's so fun; it's hilarious because、mm. people get poisoned, and there's all kinds of stories、um, of them getting poisoned and see illustration、uh, and not illustrations,、uh, hallucinations and. It's really funny because like grandma would be like there was a dragon in my kitchen and you know people would just be crazy for a couple of days and it's kind of for I won't say it's normal but it's like expected nobody is、mm-hmm. gonna freak out they're just ah、oh, I got poisoned by a、mm-hmm. mushroom、um, so and and then of course those mushrooms are used medicinally right in that region and also a lot of the mushrooms are in Chinese medicine as well. So when you think about a lot of the health trends, you can trace them back to China, and we were doing it for thousands of years and without people knowing, without even Chinese people nowadays realizing it. It's kind of funny.、Um, so、uh, going back to my practice, so we're we're offering that. We're just doing it slow. We still don't have an investor. We're still like a tiny business,、uh, you know. I actually feel like I really need more help on it, but I'm also not in a hurry.、I、have a lot of patience. We're just bringing in like a family business right now. And、um, on the other side, myself,、uh, I do have some、uh, cooking clients from time to time,、um, and some clients coming for、uh, nutrition consultations.、Um, that's where I get, I think. Some clinical experience just from my own, own work,、mm-hmm. um, and I, that's also when I find food can be so helpful for for people, you know, from what they tell me. There are especially、uh, digestive concerns, you know,、uh, in even diabetes. Food is so fast、mm-hmm. with it,、mm-hmm. and then on the other side, I teach some workshops online. And I am、uh, writing a book as well, a cookbook that's going to be published in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I was going to、um, ask you about that because it sounds like you need to write a book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have so much to to share. You know,、mm. Chinese medicine is just so fascinating, especially the food portion.、Uh, and I think I'm lucky enough to have the biomedical background, the culinary background, and the Chinese medicine background. Um, and、uh, I do want to bind all those together、um, to to share these stories. You know, the recipes from the Forbidden Palace, where the Empress, she is like a I will call a wellness guru at her、mm. time. We call、mm. her Qing Dynasty It Girl. You know. <laughs> That's how we call call her in in China nowadays. Because she, when she was sixty, her skin still looked like a baby, you know, because she was having all these food therapy recipes, best herbs for her. Is that、um, are you referencing the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that where all of the facial acupuncture classics sort of come from, right?、It's, I don't know about her. Facial acupuncture is possible because she has all these beauty secrets. Yeah. She also left 
uh, us with um, books, records of the things that she was eating. Okay. The doctors in the kitchen would write down everything that she's eating. So now we, we look back and, you know, we, we figure it out and use it on our own, ourselves today. Uh, so really fascinating. And, you know, going back to the, the trend, right? A lot of the trend nowadays, health trend, I, I look back, it's so interesting. For example, just nut milk. Okay, it was trendy, I guess, since here, maybe 10 years ago, I don't know, a couple years ago, I think it really started to pick up. And in China, it just started to pick up two years, probably two, three years. People started to import, let's say, uh, Western brands into China to eat, drink those kind of nut milk as a trendy food now. And silk just entered China um, to, to sell them milk, etc., but I was just reading a book from the Qing Dynasty, a recipe book, and they were talking about how to make almond milk. And they would actually teach people to save the the solids. They, you know, after you strain the milk, mm-hmm. tell them to use almond flour, add them to your buns. Yeah. See, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Exactly. I'm always wondering what to do with those, the dregs. Because yeah, it seems yeah, like yeah. really useful. Yeah, you can definitely add to any of your doughs if you're making, or you know, even just saute with vegetables. It can be nice as well. Yeah, so these all kinds of these little things, you know, and uh, mushrooms so trendy, or the reishi and things like that. You know, obviously we were we were having it for a long time, and my my <clears throat> my friends in the beauty industry say just told me like snow fungus ying art right is going to be a big trend. That was like this like a common food. For, for us, you know? So Zoe, you've referred to we a couple of times. Do you have a partner in this work or partners or? Yeah, so for five seasons, I do have um, two partners. Mm-hmm. So one girl helped me with finances. She's not, you know, a TCM person. The other is a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist. Mm, okay. Um, so we do kind of work together. Yeah, it's ironic. I feel like the the program you're trying, you, you were trying to get into in, the, in this country, in this city, would really benefit from you as a professor. Because like half of the things that you're talking about, or at least that I've seen, um, seen you describe and, uh, and like this book you're talking about would be amazing. Um, I know that at least half of the students that I went to school with would have appreciated. It would be like a level two or, you know, maybe an advanced sort of, you know, Asian nutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, know. because it's so, it's so important. It's so pivotal. We feel completely inept when we get out because it's just like, uh, make a kanji, you know, or we'll go to the other extreme and and say, well, we have to use um, this herbal formula, which may or may not be necessary because it might be too strong. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's why I, I'm staying the, in this program, studying acupuncture, because I, I had to get the degree, right, in order to teach. I do want to, I love teaching. And I think it's the really the 
one of the best ways to let more people know about things, not just for the students, but for the students' students, the students' clients. And I do want to teach in, let's say, universities at NYU to teach mm-hmm. uh, dietitians about mm-hmm. a little bit about Eastern nutrition, because even in the nutrition world, if we, we, what we call is ethnic diet, right, is very lacking. I swear uh, a nutritionist trained here is not going to be able to consult a Chinese patient because we learn none of the Chinese foods. <laughs> and Chinese food is uh, uh, used as a bad example in the textbooks. I remember very clearly mm. in, the, in the case study. They will say, uh, let's say, Mary has a 56 years old. She has high hypertension and she loves eating Chinese food. What would you recommend? You know? Stop being racist. (laughs) It's assumed as the Americanized, you know, fast, like orange chicken, which does not. Sweet and sour pork, whatever. (laughs) Right. You know? Um, So I think that really needs to be changed, especially in our time. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I really do want to offer an you know, elective class in university and even do I love like research, you know, academic work, I think uh, on, on food therapy, you know, on these herbs using as food or certain ingredients. What about TCM theory being practiced in a clinical setting uh, in terms of diet wise? Um, because I think the academic side, the published papers, RCTs, can really guide um, the the trend of the, the industry. So maybe there can be more products, you know, on food therapy, and it eventually it can benefit um, the, the general public, I think. So that's why awesome. I have to go through <laughs> the program. Yeah, I, I, I wish Tyler were here. Oh, well, maybe in some ways I wish you, I'm glad he's not because he would just be fuming <laughs> that you have to go through all these hoops um, when you're probably already uh, more educated than the education you're going to get. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or at least the education you're getting is not necessarily useful for what you're looking to yeah. use it for. You know, you know which is unfortunate. A- I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still hopeful. I'm gonna still try to talk to the administration and see if there is a way to at least, you know, for I'm okay with taking points class, almost finished mm-hmm. with all of them. But the <laughs> I, the internship, you know, it's just really, mm-hmm. you know, um, not a waste of time for me to be, to be honest. I'm mm-hmm. just so uh-huh. sure I will not be an acupuncturist. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Oh, you mean, so are you starting the herbal rounds in the clinic yet or no? No. Because isn't that part of the program? Yeah, that's a, but that's a very, I think that's also just like in the farm, in the clinic pharmacy, just like scooping Uh, powders. Yeah. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. I hate to just be sitting here bashing on it, but I do feel like there needs to be a a more robust, if you want an herbal program like that, it has to be more robust, maybe going in and, um, working with a local pharmacy that's doing tons and tons and tons of herbs every day. Yeah, then you're, exactly. you're gaining some knowledge, but exactly. I, I don't even think Pecom Clinic does that many herbs, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think most of them are just also just the, the classic formulas, the generic formulas, you know, rarely individualized formulas either. So it would be really helpful if they let me go off campus and find a, a – I, I know a couple – 
great herbalist, you know, in Chinatown in Flushing to just be interning with them. I think that would be so valuable for me. <laughs> but like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Oh you know? so <laughs> so I, I, so I'm going to talk to them again and, and see yeah. if there's any way for me to, to do that. Hmm. But, well, maybe we'll yeah. brainstorm off mic because um, I feel like there's a, I think there might be ways um, if you have enough backing from other or even the route of like the um, apprenticeship. Right. Kind of idea. Cause there's licensure for that legitimate licensure for that, for at least an acupuncture. So why would there be for herbalism? So, but anyway. Ah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. 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 So are you <laughs> sort of subversively um, putting together a kind of, um a course or even like just one class on or would you be interested in doing a class for acupuncturists like outside of a school not necessarily within a school but like hey because we had a professor i don't know if he's still there dr bornia do you know him i don't he's great he's he's, uh he's he was great he's um this italian doctor who's now an acupuncturist here and uh, he loves food therapy. Like, that's his thing. And so he would teach classes outside of school, cooking classes. And you just go to his house. And it was really interesting. I mean, I didn't get to go, but he would always sort of pitch them a little bit in class. And then you, you got, you know, I was on his mailing list for a while. And it was, um, I think it was really helpful because it was, it was more local. You know, it wasn't like... Um, Maybe it was a little more Italian uh, influenced, but you know it's still things that like you could find in the grocery store. Um, and but relatively complicated dishes, you know, and and but the health benefits of that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would sign up for your course. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to do one so I can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, cooking i love you know cooking classes and the, just to show i think seeing it especially like i love in-person things mm. too much zoom i somehow it's very draining it's harder to take a zoom class uh in mm. my opinion it's just so draining for some for some reason for me the, like the audio sometimes it's bad it's just like, ah. <laughs> you know yeah, you have to sort of always cheat to the camera or like play to the camera in general and yeah yeah i can't imagine monitoring like chats while you're cooking that's got to be yeah exactly I, and i've done that and it's it's very and you have to angle the you have to have two cameras one focusing on the food one focusing on the face um, and still people can see clearly, they can smell, right? They are not able to touch these things, which is so important um, for uh, a chef or for someone who's cooking. Yeah, I and, mean, the whole well, experience yeah. is somatically mediated. And when we put it, you know, strictly in the realm of the visual image, right? It's, I mean, we can think about it in terms of embodiment. We can think about it in terms of chi transmission and exchange. We can think about it in terms of like, the pheromonic dimension, but there are all of these ways in which our capacity for experience is greatly reduced when, I mean, like, I'm very grateful that we can talk to you, like, you know, Squadcast and Zoom are awesome and incredibly limited, especially when we're talking about <clears throat> something that's engages so much of the sensory capacity of the human being, right? So yeah, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. 
But however, next year, next year we might be having a storefront again. Awesome. Um, because I have a friend who got a big grant from the government, and so I'm basically she's gonna handle most of the renovation of the place. It's gonna be in Bushwick, mm-hmm. and then so I will be just renting the place from mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. as okay. a herbal apothecary slash cafe. Um, so we can do some work, work, uh, workshop in there. Hopefully. I was just gonna ask that because um, so that would that be also cooking classes or not so much. Uh, can be cooking classes, can be other type of workshops, everything around Chinese medicine. Basically, it's gonna be look like an apothecary with uh, food being offered. I want to offer uh, TCM cuisine, you know, like Chinese breakfast. I always struggle to find good breakfast in Brooklyn, other than sandwiches and. <laughs> croissant and coffee you know um breakfast is the first meal you know i think it's in really important to have a well-rounded nutrition for the first meal something Mm -hmm. warm watery to start the Mm -hmm. digestive system you know i had one client coming to me after using my recipe so i i posted about a millet kanji for breakfast and she tried it and she loved it. She's like, oh, my gosh, this helped my digestion so much. And that's how she decided to learn a bit more from me directly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah, Chinese breakfast. <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> Something I really want to offer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we only get elaborate uh, during brunch. But yeah. New York brunch is no joke, though. <laughs> but York- it's all the same, though. Fair. You know? Yeah. It's, it's certainly not seasonal, no. It's it's just it's also every restaurant is quite similar. That is what I I find boring. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. it, especially nowadays you look at the menu of different restaurants all over New York. Um, if they belong to the same cuisine, it looks so similar. You know, I just feel like mm-hmm. every time I'm ordering the same thing from different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. But there we we do have some amazing food, I have to say, in New York. And, and, and everything, a very diverse mm. kind of uh, cuisine, which um, uh, I, I was want to do a series on, like, world cuisine with TCM. Mm. What about, mm. uh, you know, aside from Chinese, those American, those gener- Italian, we could do, like, Mexican with TCM, which I did actually once. Um, and then maybe Ethiopia, whatever, African, you know, uh, Iceland, whatever, you know, I think it would be really interesting. I think it sounds fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, other than millet kongi, what would you offer for breakfast since breakfast is such a passion for you? Oh my gosh, already. Oh, Give so, us the ideal. <laughs> so in the morning, definitely in, in China, we have a lot of steamed things for breakfast so usually it's like a steamed bun but in my mind i'm going to upgrade it so first of all the outside is going, going to be a whole grain um flour uh blended with uh, a four god herbal blend so with uh grounds um lotus seed aporia uh koi seed yijin um and tian shi fox nut 
So these four things grounded, being the powder with, with the dough on the outside, and inside we could have a vegetable filling or a protein filling, or maybe chicken or or something like that, uh, like a steamed bun. That's mm-hmm. a classic. Mm-hmm. And then house made uh, multi green soy milk. So soy milk, you know, we use uh, we make soy milk at home very often in my home in China, and we I would we would use uh, soybean. Black soybeans, walnuts, black rice, um, jujube dates, and things like that to make a very uh, multi-green soy milk for more oh, nutrients. Yeah. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, and, and think about it. You know, in winter we could do more like a sesame. You know, maybe stuff that goes into kidney, liver a little mm, bit more sorghum and, or something. Yeah, exactly. In the mm. summer we do a lighter one, right? Um, so definitely amazing, like a soy milk uh, beverage. Um, and for those who do not have one of soy, we would offer just multi-green milk. We, we do do that with rice, with black rice, with red rice, brown rice, and some nuts and seeds together um, to, to offer an, an, an alternative. Um, and then uh, we have we do eat actually plenty of even veggies, a lot of savory dishes for breakfast. So I do want to offer a fusion one. I personally love avocado, so something to do with uh, kind of like an avocado toast kind of format, but with a lot more veggies um, and uh, probably not a bun, something else. Um, yeah, this kind of this kind of. Um, things like I'm, I'm thinking about a set, you know, a fusion set and a traditional set mm. um, to be to be offered. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and then we will have. I'm thinking definitely a broth, a bone broth, um, uh, that's available whole day. You can just come in as an herbal broth, changed by season, and we'll make sure the energetics is you know neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so this can be good for everybody. Um, yeah, I love bone broth. It's just so nourishing to have. What should be in our? Sorry, go ahead. What should be in our bone broth this season, especially this year? Being yeah, actually, it's... we we've just entered uh, a new seasonal point. Uh, you know the the autumn the autumn equinox, the autumn yeah. equinox yeah. Mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now in autumn, you know that right? It's about the lung and it's about the dryness pathogen. Um, so what it's important is to have something that's neutral to slightly warm, and then to uh, be moistening for all our body from the lung to our stomach to our intestines. So I would choose mostly like yin nourishing herbs for the body. And in terms of the protein, it could be pork or duck. That's actually the top choices for now. Also, even some fish can be good. But in general, you know, chicken works as well. And for herbs, I think I'm going to choose uh, shashan, maidong. They're always a good combination, but they're cooling. So I would add and some, let's say, a little bit dangui, a little bit jujube for sure. Um, and then a uh, little bit haidi ye, which is a food uh, therapy kind of herb. Uh, oh, what's that one? Haidi ye. It's like is a it coconut. Seaweed? Oh, okay. It's kind of like a coconut that grows in the sea. In, oh. in the oh, city or the it sea? It slides like really white. Yeah, and also really good for uh, for hydration, for nourishing. Mm. So 
So these these three work really well together with the Maidong and Shashen. These three things work together really well. And then we have something that's more warming and tonifying. And even a little bit of spices can be added, you know, like star anise, just tiny little bit. We'll add more of those in winter. Um, but a little bit of spices that goes into long meridians, more aromatic uh, in there to to make a make, make a blend. So you're saying you, you would make the the bone in the bone broth would be more chicken or duck, or you'd st- you'd still have that basis like a like a beef or something. Yeah, so for right now, duck is the top choice. Is right now, so um, maybe duck chicken combined could be good. Even pork can be pretty good for now because um, pork and duck is considered more in nourishing than than other proteins. Um, and um, so usually always cook the bones first for three hours, two, three hours, and then add the herb in the last uh, 30 minutes, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on the herbs that we are using. So mm-hmm. never just add it from the beginning, you know, then you got to cook it too much for too long. Yeah. Have, so do you usually, so I'm, we're going to dive in. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you usually throw your, say you, we're going to do it with duck. Do you usually throw the duck in right away? Like, so you bring the water to the boil, season it lightly or whatever, and then throw the duck in there and then take out all the meat and let the bones cook for a little bit longer? So duck, always cold water, duck, and um, around four kinds of veggies with cold water and and to bring it to a boil and then turn the heat down to medium to low to let it cook. Actually, it turns out to be very different, the broth, if you can. You cook it at lower temperature, let it cook it for longer. Um, And then uh, if I'm using dried mushrooms, if I'm using uh, hard spice like the star anise, let's say maybe cinnamon, the Chinese cinnamon stick or whatever, um, those things can be cooked for longer. So I tend to add, you know, like an hour after the broth is is made. And then in the end, last 30 minutes, I'm adding other softer, lighter herbs uh, in the end. And then season always in the end after the broth is made and i leave the bone i leave the meat everything in there they actually turns out and then in the end i strain everything and then take the meat out of the uh the bones and then i use the meat for other purposes not necessarily eating directly but maybe make a filling for a wrap or uh, maybe even make a meat sauce uh, with these shredded meats um kind of you think about like a poured pork kind of feeling mm. but with this meat um they they, t- they taste pretty good actually with, with this sauce they won't taste too dry or like too you know hard to chew or anything like that mm-hmm. yeah do you have and to then, strain it at all because of the the yeah. skin because it's pretty fatty oh, yeah, yeah. You, with oil yes so usually you know um there is a little i don't know how to call that little <laughs> La- ladle, ladle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Little net on it, so that's mm-hmm. to take ah. out the foam. Especially when you're cooking big bones, red meat bones, a lot of foam mm-hmm. have to take it out during okay. cooking. And then with the oil, so if I'm eating, drinking the bone broth right away, then I will try to take out as much oil as possible. And then, um, depending on my mood, depending on the season, I might save it for later cooking other veggies. Mm. Um, let's say in winter, you know, if I want a little bit more. In summer, generally don't do that. Um, and then, because uh, duck can be very oily. But if I decide to not drink it, then I just pour into a container, 
you know, once it's cold, you pop into the fridge, and then the oil naturally becomes solid. And after a couple hours, then it becomes so easy to take it off, and it's very visible. Yeah. Mm. When you take it off, so that that's kind of my way of getting rid okay. of the excess of that. Yeah. Man, that sounds awesome. So, do you have some of these recipes already on your? website yeah some of the broth is on the website yes we do and broth i love uh teaching broth because it's a format you learn the format you can cook all different kinds of boom broth you know based on your knowledge on herbalism based on you know the protein you like you you could you could do a so many different varieties uh based on your own taste and that's one thing i want to teach with my practice is really flexibility to apply one thing you learn to a thousand different ways. And that's how, uh, you know, this uh, TCM or the lifestyle can stick with you is that you're able to change it your, your, yourself, you know, and being flexible. Super important. Well, I mean, it's sort of one of the, the key tenants to any of the classics, isn't it? Yeah. Right? So it's all these, ver- this, this, these fundamental pillars that, the reason why they're, you know, universal principles is because they're they are the fundamental principles. All you need is those, and then you can translate that to whatever situation. Exactly. Do you know? Exactly. So. And then, you know, I also relate this kind of thinking to Chinese culture, to Buddhism, to Taoist as well. I think these philosophies are so closely related to Chinese medicine. So I always, you know, almost encourage practitioners to read a little bit about it. I really think it improves the way that we practice and Mm -hmm. just make our mind more ready for our our patients and to cultivate, you know, something just ah, just like closer to nature, make ourselves, you know, part of part of nature. And I think reading these texts really just really helps. It frees frees my, my mind, my brain so much and i find that very helpful for the patient as well because especially for food prop patients nowadays i i have to say i would say probably 90 percent of the people who come to me or the people who are my friends and families 90 percent of them have some kind of not healthy relationship with food mm-hmm. you know uh, even even as practitioners, you know, we work in the health industry, but food-wise can be tough because there are too many information about healthy eating, but what is right? It's confusing. And because of our schedule, we tend to be, you know, busy individuals and we don't practice what we do. I mean, we don't do what we practice. Mm-hmm. You know, some, sometimes it can definitely happen and that's totally fine, but it's about how do we uh, face it and, and balance it out of ourselves and how to teach my patients to be more relaxed around food you know eating healthy is not that tricky it's not about getting all the supplements not about not eating anything it's it's you know really about to to realize what your body really needs and how to eat so you're happy both physically and mentally you know, and I think Chinese medicine talked about it in food therapy. One of the other important pillar, other than being beautiful, the food is a mental health, the mental health compartment of of eating, which I, I think is so huge um, to to eat with, with joy. And how do you use food to create joy in your life using healthy food 
to to create joy and feel completely relaxed and grateful when when you are eating food, even when you're eating outside. How, what, what what do you choose? You know to make yourself feel uh, content. How do you socialize with your friends w- without being stressed about about eating? You know, um, is is super important. I think. So do you find that? Um... Well, I guess people who search you out are at least willing to do whatever work, to, like the anti-in work. Do you know, there's a sort of baseline amount of uh, work that you're going to have to do to get more healthy. But because I have, um, I come from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is like, especially where I'm from, is what it, my family likes to call the snack belt. Because it's, <laughs> right? Where exactly is that? It's like uh, basically central Pennsylvania. I was I was there when I first came to the U.S. Really? Oh. So you've had good pretzels and and, yeah, and chips. Yeah, okay. it seems basically. like I was on the snack belt. Right? I had so many problems. Exactly. I mean, it probably is uh, because we have there's any if you go to any bodega in here, I guarantee. Well, maybe now because not now because the we're getting pretty fancy okay. with our with our snacks, but like. Most of the pretzels are from that area of Pennsylvania. I guarantee you, at least one of the, one or two of the major chip companies are from there. Hershey's from there. Reese's is from there. Nabisco. I mean, you name it. It's whew, all there. So anyway, the culture of you know quick foods and sort of this the the traditional cooking is kind of dying. I think, in my mm-hmm. humble opinion, um, I think people want to do less and less work. Right. To, you know, to make a meal. And um, so do you find that, like, where do you start with something like that? Where do you, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying about, you know, changing your relationship with food and even the preparation or even finding the ingredients should be an act of joy and a, and a meditation on, on, on joy, really, and celebration. But for those who are sort of struggling because they've been in this sort of downward spiral of food choices, like where do you, where in your opinion, do you, do you start with like, you know, transitioning? Yeah, great question. And there is definitely so many ways to do it. We all have people who just don't cook at all. They told me, I don't cook. You know, mm-hmm. what can I do? Can you just give me some pills? I don't know. <laughs> so first, you know, they don't cook, but where their food come from, they order a lot. And that's somewhere we can go into. You know, I teach them what to order. What about start from changing your regular uh, sandwich to something else? And I give them examples. I actually sit down with them. They give them, they give me their whole office address or home address. And I take a look what restaurant is available. And we go through a session about, hey, what about this? Have you thought about this restaurant? Have you thought about this kind of food? What about doing this? And we make a simple schedule of what they're going to order for this week. Mm-hmm. And it definitely helps. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this restaurant exists. I didn't know I would like this kind of food. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They, do? they still cook nothing. They just change the way that they order, and then and then they learn what they should order to make sure that right. they have a more balanced nutrition. To make sure uh, they eat foods that's more you know uh, suitable for their constitution. Um, because now I, I do realize people here eat a lot of you know drying, heating foods. That's the pretzel, you know, everything's baked, chips, right? Oily, create dampness, 
these kind mm-hmm. of food groups a lot. Uh, and the tradition, I think the traditional cooking, American cooking is a lot in the oven. While TCM cooking is actually quite opposite. I grew up in a household we never had oven until I was maybe in the fifth grade, sixth grade, when we moved into a larger house. And I'm, actually, my mom has to buy a separate oven because the house never comes with an oven. It's just how, now how we cook, right? So I, I, I uh, recommend people to try foods um, cooked and other methods. So you see something steamed, you see something like a stew, mm. try those, you know, mm. if their constitution is like a yin deficiency, right? Uh, even like dampness or like very heated, try those more water, water-based cooking methods. And I find most people actually can take some time to cook, let's say, at least a simple breakfast or let's say a simple meal. They're actually willing to do that. So for for those, I mean, everything starts from the most important part. Half of the success is grocery shopping. People can be very stressed about it in terms of, oh, what should I buy? Like meal plan, I don't want to do that. I could just give me Mm -hmm. a plan, tell me what to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So often, you know, but I don't want to give them a strict plan. Then they can't find this. They're like, oh, I'm I'm, done. I couldn't do anything this week anymore, right? Right. So um, the formula is simple. What I tell people is uh, count the vegetables. Just only plant your vegetables. Buy 15 kinds of vegetables a week um, and then eat them. Uh, and then have at least three to five different kind of grains from rice to seeds to lentils to uh, oats, things like that, and ha- and and cook them. And then um, four to five kinds of fruits. Um, and then they were like, "Oh, how do I cook them?" So like, uh, if if you have time, just search really quickly a recipe. There's so many online that you could do, or just simply saute. That's how easy it is. You know, no fancy foods needed at home. Even for me, I buy a bunch of vegetables, slice them, and just saute them together. And invest in a, a rice cooker, dump all the greens in. You have either porridge or, or rice, depending on what you like. If you like pasta, buy those multi-green pasta. Those kind of small changes in grocery shopping can change a lot. And also, I remind them to change up your, um, try to change up your cooking method. So a lot of people just baking a microwave. What about adding something in your in your in your pot, you know, to to have a more varied kind of kind of diet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that there's sort of a a time period where they start to their their mental um, their sort of capacity to even uh, want to do more complicated cooking changes? Is there, a, is there a time frame on that, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say around three weeks. It takes around three weeks. Mm, they would stop asking me questions. They would be like, oh, can I, you know, in the beginning, oh, how do I do this? Should I do this? Is it okay? Mm-hmm. After three weeks, I generally see they just send me pictures of their cooking. <laughs> they will be like, wait, oh, look, I made this today. And do you want this recipe? I can give it to you. <laughs> Well, That's awesome. Make their own own recipes, and, and you, you can see they really they really learned, and it, mm. it, it no longer becomes a burden. The learning process is almost ended, right? It, it becomes a, a convenient part of their life uh, mm. that they do for, for themselves. Um, so three weeks, and but the thing about food therapy, the tricky thing, the struggle I have in my practice is for it to succeed a hundred percent. 
don't know, maybe 90%. Depending, depends on the, it's dependent on the client self. This person needs to do it. Mm-hmm. No matter from ordering or cooking uh, or buying groceries, it's on them. They have to stick to it. And generally, the habit changes. You know how long it takes for a habit to change. If they do it for three days, it's not going to help them. They have to, you know, really be ready for it, which comes the the, the mental part from from our practice. How do we prepare them, you know, mentally? How how do we give them support uh, outside of the recipes to help them to succeed? Yeah, you know, in a lot of the internal cultivation practices, there's this idea that you have to do something for 100 days consecutively if you really want to make a a shift in that kind of internal relationship to rhythm and and daily habit, right? And, you know, in a lot of the harder line, it's like, and if you miss a day, then you have to set the clock back to zero, which sometimes is a little daunting for folks. But I think that there is certainly something to that level of consistency over time right? A commitment to really working with something for essentially, you know, we're talking about a season, right? Of moving through one, one season. And if we can do that, if we can really be engaged as the season turns, then somehow something opens up, right? And it becomes much easier to keep that momentum that we've established going. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It takes time, you know, Uh, and we need to have patience for healing, for taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people are liking that, you know, they want fast from food to healing. They ask for Mm -hmm. fast things. Why is it not changing women still like this? You know, it takes time, especially I think acupuncture, you, you see faster results than food therapy. Sometimes, depending on the issues, um, food therapy sometimes can really take time. Yeah, I think it's definitely a question of like, how long has this person been engaged in this particular set of behaviors? Mm-hmm. How long have they been in this particular relational context? Like, how long have they had this uh, pattern that we might think of as a chronic, in a Western model, a chronic issue, chronic disease, right? Like the longer and more entrenched something is, the more patience folks have to have. And at the same time, at least in my experience, usually by the time they're coming to see somebody like one of us, they're at the end of their patience often because all these other things haven't worked. And so it's a really interesting space to navigate with someone, you know, like, because, even though often nothing has worked and they've been exploring things or nothing has worked satisfactorily, you know, for some extended period of time, there is this expectation like, Oh, I heard this stuff can really help, but I'm not better after one treatment, one week, one, you know, it's like, yeah, right. Right. We have to start to help soften the, um, the structures that we have around what results look like. And whether even we want to be oriented towards something that we think of as a result, right? Or if we can reorient, right? You're talking about the classical texts and, you know, a Taoist and or Buddhist or even Confucian orientation, right? To something that is more processual rather than being more about like, I'm going to obtain this thing, right? I'm going to get this Mm. result. I'm going to meet this goal. It's like, well, that's actually on a certain level, right? If we go back to harmonizing and 
reconnecting, re uh, and understanding our the fact that we're not separate from nature, but we are within nature, right? It really this this fundamental shift in the way that we think and feel and understand what our place is on the planet, I think is such a fundamental piece and reminds me too of what you were saying about like, you know, in terms of the principles, if you learn the format of the broth, right, you learn one thing, you can do a thousand things, right, which of course, I think many of the folks listening to this will recognize that reference, right, from other aspects of classical Chinese philosophy and other disciplines within within the Chinese arts. Um, but for folks that don't, this this tenant itself, right, that if we really the goal is not to master 10,000 things, right? The goal is to really investigate, if we're going to talk about goals at all, to investigate deeply one, one thing, which is not a thing, but a set of processes. And if we do that, we start to somehow shift our consciousness in such a way where we can really start to perceive how those dynamics within that one area of inquiry actually do transmit and translate. There's like some kind of fractal relationship between how we learn and how we engage to all of these other ways of learning and engaging. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that why I'm, you know, talking about this so much at this moment is that it's really beautiful to hear the way in which in your relationship with the folks that you're working with, on the one hand, you're teaching them, you know, about food and how to shop and how to cook. And on the other hand, at a deeper level, you're teaching them about this kind of reharmonization process, right? Which I think, at least in my understanding and relationship to the medicine, like this is actually, this is the one thing of the medicine, right? And of the cultivation practice. And then it iterates out in these various expressions that depending on who we are as practitioners, who we are working with, one orientation or another to that particular first principle will be more effective. And by effective, I mean uh, more an easier road for a particular person based on their constitution and their circumstances to come into relationship with that process. Yeah. So very exactly. beautiful. Exactly. Can I, I don't want to necessarily go down a whole nother rabbit hole, but I think you're in such a unique position to answer this question because of your biomedical background as well. What do you, what do you feel? How do you feel about um, our our food supply not being nutritious enough um, and thus we need more supplementation, vitamin or otherwise. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like we can get enough from just sort of seasonal cooking and, and variety of what we have? Or do you feel like, well, the nutritional value of what we, what we have is actually inadequate? You know, it's this question, really important question because after all, nutrition is the der derivative of agriculture. And unfortunately, agriculture nowadays has a lot of problems. I think especially in the US, it's so in industrialized, you know, much more industrialized than China, actually. And that's why we have all different kinds of allergies from gluten, you know, from the wheat, to even soy, to peanuts. And I've never heard of food allergies before I came here. I didn't even know how to really say that in, in Chinese <laughs> before I came here. We just didn't have that, you know? Yeah. And then I had that. I had it myself. You know what I mean? Um, so 
in terms of buying these produce, it's important and recommend if we are more consciously buying our food. However, if we are all just buying conventional veggies, it's generally it's okay. We still get you know sufficient nutrients uh, from from these vegetables. But for let's say patients who have more severe conditions, we do recommend the source of these veggies is very important. And especially you know when you are buying um, uh, foods that above veggies, so let's say the uh, protein or you know especially animal source, it's more important even like eggs. It's more important to uh, buy, you know, free range, organic, farm to table. Uh, yeah. That's kind of like a requirement. I'd rather you not have bone broth if you're buying or a fish broth if you're buying like farms uh, fish or, you know, uh, a bone with a lot of, you know, three dollar whole chicken kind of mm-hmm. kind of situation. I don't think it's beneficial for you at all. But for veggies, I do worry less. Um that, that's just from my experience. I find them working, any veggies works. Mm. Well, I'm curious to see what you think of, what both of you think of this. Um, I mean, our our plant environment is, is adapting to the changes in the climate as, as we are in real time. So do you think that, and given the principle that the earth provides what we need, in the time that we need it, we just have to identify it, you know, when it happens. So we'll say like, like, um, we have, we had some conversation with Tyson Young Caporta, which, um, were really amazing. And he was mentioning things like, oh, you know, when, um, this certain tree is in bloom, then that means that, you know, the, the bees are actually helping with this, or, and then the, the fish in this river are actually going to be what you need to eat. And the skin is actually has a certain amount of whatever kind yeah, of, the fat um, of the eel in the season that a particular oh, yeah, tree is blooming. The name for the bloom of the tree is the same as the name for the eel. And like when you eat the fat in that season, it has this kind of immunogenic quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'm just going to jump in Lucas and offer yeah. a, a thought about that. I think that, um, in a non-industrially agriculture context or a non, an agriculture context that's not industrialized and or um, a context in which there's less uh, adverse intervention in an ecosystem, I think that this thing is really in a primary position. I think it gets trickier when if I'm getting things to grow, like I'm doing a monoculture and the only reason the crop is growing is because, you know, if we do a monoculture agricultural project, right, we're stripping the soil of appropriate nutrients. It's totally not regenerative. You know, um, I might have a slightly different view, Zoe, than you about how depleted the soil is in a lot of situations with conventional and even with a lot of organic um farms that like at this point i feel like and not that i have the privilege or the option of always doing this but when we can find folks that have a more regenerative relationship with how they're engaging with the soil right it's like that i think becomes more and more important especially as the climate becomes less and less stable um because yes i think the earth gives us what we need but we also have to support at this point the earth in providing because we've Mm -hmm. done so much on a species level 
um, you know, especially within the modern Western European context to, as Bonnie would say, like orient from the God problem where we think we know better than nature. And so then like, oh, well, this isn't working. So I'm going to, I'm going to add this thing, or I'm going to take this mm -hmm. thing that I think is bad away. Like I read an article that in Australia, they're thinking about introducing herpes virus to the invasive carp species. This is Australia that introduced the cane toad, right? <laughs> to deal with the cane beetle and the cane grub and created like a total disruption on a, you know, countrywide level to their ecosystem. We're still doing these kinds of things. And when that is at play in a system, I don't know that we can just trust that whatever's coming out of that system <clears throat> in a day-to-day -day way is going to be what is of most benefit um, because mm. we're essentially decohering the innate intelligence of the system by trying to maintain this position that we know better than the system itself. So, you know, I think that when we create a context where we're really like in a permaculture context or a regenerative agriculture context, really attending to the best of our capacity to the land and supporting the land and its, um, its own intelligence again, then I think this thing you're talking about can really come to bear and we can mm -hmm. then uh, observe what's arising and, and learn how the earth is actually supporting us it's kind of a rewilding process, right? Um, that I think needs to happen in a lot of spaces. Um, and I think is, and there's, this is not like a unique conversation, right? So uh, mm -hmm. there's lots of folks that are talking about that in various ways. Um, but that that's kind of like, you know, I think it's a yes and, yeah, you know, not entirely as widespread as it was before we started this kind of, misguided agricultural project well how do you feel zoe first of all if you feel you know if you want to jump in on that feel free but um how do you feel like the situation is in china regarding that you know ah yeah so i actually um a couple maybe two years or three years ago i went on a trip with national geographics i was the fixer for the reporter that time and we were investigating china's agriculture so i learned a, sh a, a, a ton of you know information you about agriculture in china <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, um for so china is still you know much less industrialized than america mm -hmm. america you have huge farms in china we don't and that's the result of actually First, Cultural Revolution, the Revolution Era, where the farmers, um, the government actually, the farmer owned the land. So right now, for centralized farming to happen, you have to solve a lot of relationships with the farms and their like ownership. So it's too much work. Mm. So that's why we still have very micro farms here and there. Second reason is ge geography. China has a very complicated geographic uh, situation, much very different from America. So that makes huge farms to be very hard to happen. We cannot have a huge like cornland like in Iowa or you know, mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. So but in China we are trying to be America. You know, we uh, are trying no. to get 
I know to get <laughs> importing uh, American farming machines. The tire, the, the the tires are as big as the tires as big as, as me, you know. Um, and then to have bigger farms, to to have less people, less farm farmers working, use machines, because we think America is just a, uh, better. And in supermarkets, sometimes the the let's say uh, the globalization of food, America is always the the leader. So whatever food America produce, we think it's good quality, safe. Uh, even it's like a hot dog brand. White Castle is in a luxury mall in Shanghai. Oh no! Kind of example. Oh god. <laughs> Going back to agriculture, um, but thankfully, because of the two things I talked about, we still have, uh, at least for now, right now, uh, a, a less industrialized agriculture, and we grow a, a big variety of mm-hmm. of veggies, uh, much more varied than here, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, however, also um, uh, there was a time where China was using a lot of pesticides. Because it wasn't regulated well at all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the farmers are much less educated than the farmers here. I think you know they sometimes they don't even they're illiterate. They don't even know how to read, and they only know pesticides help the crops to grow better to earn more money. It's a very money-driven culture back home. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, we had those kind of crises of of produce have varied toxic level of pesticides Mm -hmm. so now the government is trying to do is to establish more regulation you know like organic certification and stuff like that started to be uh uh, established a couple years ago on the green food like safety labels and stuff like that but still i think the standard is much lower than europe or Mm -hmm. the u.s Mm. and also the people start to have more eating health and nutrition related problems right so more educated people actually started to become farmers kind of like here mm-hmm. there's a trend of going back to focus on the land yeah. to grow you know uh, micro farms start to pop up to offer farm to table produce for people in the big cities uh, like wild things and they do a lot of testing to make sure they were the best uh, like a delicacy level kind of food i can't even show you some websites where they sell only these high quality produce from small farms mm-hmm. and each farm have a story to mm-hmm. tell like that and we visited like the only farmer's market at that time in beijing and they have yeah we it's totally learned from here you know copy because uh uh expats from here go back to china and then they bring the mm-hmm. the, the culture back see, yeah um, but the farms are really lovely. They sometimes even sell some herbs. So talking about the, the, the growing situation of herbs, you know, it's also uh, a problem too. Mm-hmm. Herbs mm-hmm. nowadays are not as potent mm-hmm. as before. Mm-hmm. I was looking uh, at an interview of uh, a Shanghainese, like a really old school, quite famous Shanghainese TCM doctor. And he said in the interview that nowadays, uh, back then I saved a, a child's life with a formula i think it was just two ingredients it was something with a ginseng and something else to really bring the young back mm-hmm. uh, and now he said if i use the same formula on the same patient i i, I cannot bring him back anymore mm-hmm. because 
unfortunately in, in, in China the, the the soil is not as nutritive as before and uh, sometimes if pesticides are used for these herbs you know what can they do yeah. um, so I, I heard at least um, in Korea and Japan they produce oftentimes higher quality herbs Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where my focus will be. I do want to investigate a little bit more mm-hmm. um, on that. And actually in Japan, their, mm-hmm. their food therapists are certified. They have light licensure for a TCM food therapist. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I do plan to maybe go there and study. I'm actually secretly studying a little bit Japanese to, to maybe five years after I, I could go there uh, and learn. Mm-hmm to see what what they're doing but going back to the land um it has problems uh, and i really hope government can be you know harder on that yeah i think we're seeing a change in that because um well just a very local example is that camo has really um put a lot of pressure on certain farms in china to um to adhere to the organic standards or at least as close as they can no pesticides and things like that because all their herbs are as clean as they can be at that pharmacy and that's it's a pretty big pharmacy i think five wind on the west coast is the same way right there's been a number of organizations in the states that have Mm -hmm. that are working towards that right you know testing various lots of herbs and in dialogue with their providers you know in mainland china i mean i think it's this is a whole other rabbit hole that considering where we are with the time we probably don't want to go down but right so like this is all awesome and then you know the questions of like so and we see this in the states too you were talking about how like so the people in the big cities now have the access to these cleaner foods that are grown with more regenerative techniques and right then we get into this question of like access and privilege and Mm-hmm. you know these other dynamics that i think are super important when we're looking at the public health aspect of the medicine which hasn't been the focus of this conversation but i think is a you know another fascinating dynamic For and sure. lens to look at this through right mm-hmm. and in china it's even more complicated because sometimes the poor the poorest people eat pretty good because they grow what they eat mm-hmm. they're farmers Right. You know, when I was visiting those farms, they just, they were pretty self-sufficient and they don't use pesticides for their own things. Mm-hmm. They started to mm-hmm. realize, which is bad. Second, they don't want to spend that money if they're just growing like smaller right. crops. Mm-hmm. Just don't use anything. And I was in a farm and it's very common, okay? That was just one example, but it's a prevalent example. So there was like, they're in their 60s. They were working in the, in the land for six hours under the sun. Labor. You know, mm-hmm. and what they were eating was just what they were growing. The chicken in their backyards, mm-hmm. which is also their bathroom. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, having, <laughs> I was using the toilet with the chicken around me. I was just squatting there, <laughs> like, like beside me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the chicken was taste, tasted fantastic. They did make chicken for us, just boiled chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really flavorful. That's the land they grow. That that town grows seed. They grow flaxseed. Mm. Flax. Mm. So their oil, they fry. They just another dish of that lunch was fried dough. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. But and flaxseed oil, coconut mm. flaxseed oil. 
Whoa. Fantastic, like golden, right? Right yeah. off the field. Yeah. Um, and then I think they were, they were healthy and they, you know, so, but in the city, let's say a city person who's poor, then they don't get right. great produce, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm. That is the privilege um conversation that we're having yeah and then you know the other thing i think that gets tricky too is like i don't know how separate the garden for home produce and the garden that they're in the you know the field that they're growing their produce for sale are but like the water table issue you know if you're offering Mm -hmm. if you're using pesticides within proximity right there's the way that that gets carried by the wind there's the way that it gets into the soil, it gets into the water, you know, in the water mm-hmm. table. I don't know. I mean, I'm I, like I said, I don't know that we want to go down this particular <laughs> rabbit hole at um, an hour and I'm 40 hearing... minutes into a conversation. But I, I mean, I'm at some point something interesting to dive into because it's it's a complex set of interpenetrating dynamics for sure. Mm. 100%. But, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful because the government is actually really supportive of at least Chinese medicine. So more and more I see policies being pushed out about, you know, not having using too much sulfites in, as preservatives in the end. Uh, they have very specific levels. And then to encourage farmers not to use pesticide. And then they even don't sell a lot of the process, uh, pesticide they were selling years ago. Oh, good. Now. Great. Yeah. Um, because they, they view it as a national treasure mm-hmm. and they want to, you know, reinforce it. They even require, actually, nowadays it's required, I believe, to teach elementary students Chinese medicine. What? Which is interesting. They don't That's require awesome. English anymore. But, oh. You know, I don't know what well, they're doing. They're like trying to foreshadowing. In, you know, I'm not sure, but um, I think it's, it's, it's nice that they are incorporating some of our traditional traditional things that's great i love it so we should probably land this plane yes yeah, is there anything um <laughs> as we do zoe that you want to any final thoughts things you want to share shout outs so you want to give with you. Yeah. i know we, we've been trying to make this happen for a while yeah. hopefully yeah, sorry about that. so great that we no there was one time i think i changed it too so oh, okay well, we're super really grateful so, yeah. to get to talk. Yeah, we're super yeah. grateful to, that you have taken the time. It's been a total pleasure to talk to you and hear about your your work and your thinking and all of your projects. Yeah, we'll yeah. To, we'll have to find time for part two because we, I think we just <laughs> opened a huge door. So. <laughs> yeah, I know there's just too many to talk about. Too many mm-hmm. things to talk about. Even just, we can, I feel like we can have a session for each herb. Each herb has so much stories behind them you know mm-hmm. um, we can do a series we can do a little mini series if you want to do that that's fine yeah. <laughs> that could be so fun because i'm reading a lot of text to write the book i'm mentioning mm-hmm. 50 herbs in the book and the story is, is really interesting whether they're legends or true story uh, both are really fascinating to read oh what level of truth are we talking about right it's not like a, a myth <laughs> exactly. doesn't speak to some some way of understanding even if it's not necessarily confirmed by biomedical science so you know you have different ways of knowing that share space right and teach us from different angles yeah. once again zoe thank you so much for taking thank the time you, zoe. it's been a total pleasure yeah thank you so much mm-hmm.